0: Uh, as you know, we are studying through the book of Colossus and we have come to part 10 now and we want to talk today about the Christian family, the Christian family, Colossians chapter 3 verse 18 and it's going to go into chapter 4 verse 1. Now I believe that when they put down the chapter divisions, they had it wrong here. And I just need to emphasize to you as well that chapter divisions wasn't there when the Bible was written. It's not as if they were written it down and go, now I'm going to write down chapter 3 verse 18 and write down verse 18 and now I'm going to number it verse 19 and verse 20. When they written the Bible, it was like a scroll. They written a whole letter. That's why it's called the letters or the Gospels. They sit down and they wrote everything down. Chapter divisions only came in later. It is to help us so that I can stand here as a minister of the word this morning, and I say, open up in Colossians chapter three, verse eighteen. So, oftentimes we get two passages, and you go, but that part needs to be with the previous chapter. It's the same in John chapter three, and when you talk about Nicodemus. There's a passage before that 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 fits in with the chapter of Nicodemus, and here is the same thing. In chapter four, verse one, I believe. Uh, uh, needs to be long with chapter 3. But today we're going to talk about a Christian family. And as we've seen over all of these weeks that uh, Paul was giving them doctrine. There was this church in Colossae, a church like this church, uh, and, and we want to praise God and teach the teachings of God in the church. But there's also the external influences who comes into the church. People's thoughts and ideas. This is how I see it. And one of the biggest things people try to do these days is to convince everybody that the way that I see it is the right way. You know that? It's my way or the highway. highway. (laughs) Yeah, you, you got that. And this is how people tend to think about things. This is how it works. No different in families. Sometimes in families, the husband is there and he goes, it's my way or the, come on highway. <laughs> and sometimes the wives in the families goes, it's my way or the highway. And some, some families, even the children, dictate the, the, the direction of the families. So this was a, a present thing in the, in, in the church. And if you go through the whole study of Colossa, which is absolutely fantastic, and it's on the net if you want to go back and listen to part one right through, and I highly recommend that to get a perspective of what's going on. If you look through the whole passage then, and you see what's going on there, you will find out that he starts first and he deals with the church. And he says to them, there's all of these influences that wants to come in, Jewish uh, regulations, the philosophers, the Gnostics, and everybody wants to have a piece of the church. It's amazing that you see these people coming like wolf in sheep clothing and they try to capture the young sheep in the churches. And then he turns away from that and he talks about the personal, your personal life. And now he focuses on the family, the family of God in the next few passages. And it's a practical application here. Uh, and, And he's going to show us today, listen to this, God's order for the family. Over the many years that we've been in ministry, we have counseled so many couples who, who when they struggle in the marriages. And I'll tell you one thing that we've picked up. It is that, that God's order in the family is not right. And when God's order in the family is not right, you have problems. God has got an order. He's not an unorganized God. He's not a disorder God. God has got a purpose and He's got a plan. And where there's a purpose in God's place, He will always give you the plan. And that's the same with marriage, first of all, and then with family. Now, you can't have a family if you haven't got a marriage. Is that right? It's sort of right, isn't it? You can be part of a family as a Child. But it eventually starts with the first family in the Bible. Where was that? In Genesis. In Genesis. So before we get <coughs> into Colossians, let me give you the purpose for marriage. You go and you ask young people today, why are you married? Uh, I don't know, because mom and dad's married. Uh, I don't know, because it's the right thing to do. Not a lot of people know what's the purpose for marriage. Why did God... Intent for two people, a man and a woman, to come together to marry and to be part of a family. Why? What is his purpose? Let me give it to you. First of all, God's purpose for marriage is to mirror God's image. That's the purpose. That's why God brought you together with your husband and your wife. Forget about children for right now. I'm just talking at the first two who came together. And this is in Genesis. Genesis chapter 1 verse 27. And God created man in His image. Yes? In the image of God He created him. He created them male and female. There's your first family. Male and female. Dare I say this morning, he didn't say male and male. They're all female and female. Have you noticed? <laughs> <laughs> you just state what the Bible says and we stand on that. The first family is a male and a female. And then if you look in chapter 2, he gives you a clear description of how God did that. It is like in Genesis chapter 1, he gives you the overview. And then in Genesis chapter 2, he zooms in and he shows you exactly how he created Adam and how he created Eve out of the rip of Adam. But that's the first purpose. So when you are alone and you're not married... You need to image what? You need to mirror the image of God. You are God's creation. God created you for a purpose, and the purpose is to worship Him and to mirror His image to the world. That's why. Adam, I create you to mirror the image of God to, at that point in time, the animal world. He didn't become an animal, He wasn't a monkey. We believe in creation, not evolution. So when he did that, the image of God was in Adam. And then he saw that it was not good, that he was alone. Then he created Eve out of Adam. So the first, if you think, now when God brings two people together, a man and a woman, and he brings them together, the same that counted for the man to mirror God's image, and the same that counted for the woman to mirror God's image, and He brings them together in your marriage. Now, the first nucleus of a family, man and woman together, that needs to mirror God's image. That's that's it. I don't care whether you're a doctor, whether you're a tent maker, whether you work on pavements, whether you work wherever you work. Your first purpose as a husband and a wife is to mirror God's image. How do I do that? Whatever I do, I bring God first. Husband brings God's first. Wife brings God's first. That's mirroring God's image. The second purpose for marriage is to mutually complete each other. In other words, I've got shortcomings. And he and my wife has got shortcomings, and I'm there to complete those shortcomings. That's how God made us. And again it comes out of Genesis in Genesis chapter two, verse eighteen. And the Lord God said, It is not good that man should be alone. I will make in him help meet for him. You see, I took this out of the King James because I just think it says it's so good. That's why the English sounds a little bit strange. He says, I will make him a help meet for him. What does the word meet for him mean? It means that when he's got shortcomings, I will complete it with the woman. That is what he said. And that is so, uh, we need to understand this. It doesn't mean they're a helper or a servant to him. The woman was never made to become a man's servant. Oh, lying down there on the couch, watching Tanya and go. Oh, give me a drink, please. Oh, come on, give me some food, please. That's never ever God's intention. That's not what it means by mutually complete one another. It means that sometimes in a couple, one is fast-paced and the other is slow-going. You know what I'm talking about. You're already there in the car, you're ready to go and you go, Come on, come on, let's go. And the other part, I won't say which part it is, male or female, but the other part... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I better tread carefully here <laughs> but so often you have it beep 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 <laughs> have you heard the honking beep I wonder what's going on with that person beep 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 and, and here it is it is mutually to complete one another And and let let, let me just explain, this has got nothing to do with IQ. It's important what I'm going to say once I get into the study, that you understand this. This is the foundation. If you understand the foundation of family and of relations and of marriage, the purpose, then you will understand what Paul is talking all about. Not only in Colossians but also in Ephesians. Mirror God's image, mutually complete one another. Let me just say it outright, when we do marriage counseling, we always say to couples, you never discuss your husband or your wife's weaknesses with your mum or your dad or your friends. Never. Never. Because that exposes their weaknesses. It does not complete their weaknesses. When we do marriage counseling, we often say to couples and to parents, keep your noses out of your children's business. Yes? It doesn't go down well, we give it down with a grain of salt though. <laughs> but that is so true that a couple complete one another. There is no place there for father-in-law or mother-in-law, have you noticed? It is, look at this, the male and the female. He didn't say males, is that single or plural tense? It's not the males who make a decision in your family, it's the male. And his help is the females. No, it's the female. So important. There's an extra lesson just that I just quickly threw in there. But now let's look at the third purpose for marriage is to multiply. To multiply. And we see it. We see how multiplication happens. Genesis 1.28 and God blessed them. Let me just say that human beings are blessed. We are blessed. He blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and do what? Fill the earth and subdue it. There's the three purposes for marriage. God's image, mutually complete one another, and to multiply. To multiply. And once you stay within God's purpose, you know what He's going to give you? There's also a plan. He doesn't only give you a purpose. Now, this is not a marriage counseling session, so I'm not going to give you the plan right now, because there's a five-point plan there. It's all in Genesis. One of those plans is you need to leave and cleave. Leave means you'll cut the umbilical cord. I'm not saying move to a strange country, but that emotional umbilical cord is cut. Hence, husband and wife need to figure out for themselves how they're going to go through this life. Now, if they want you to help them and advise, they ask for that. And they come to you. Okay, but at that point in time, that's the nucleus. And this is what the enemy wants to destroy. This is what he wants to destroy. God's purpose to multiplication through the earth was to get a nucleus together of men and women and then they get the multiplication. Children are born to that family. And through that is the order of God. First of all, you've got the husband, the wife, the children, the family, the friends, and then your workplace, and then the world. That's God's order. You're mixed with that order, you've got trouble. I'm not actually going to ask you. I'm going to tell you how it is. You say, on what basis are you saying this? I'm, I'm basing that on the Word of God and on of all of the counseling sessions that Leona and I had with couples. And the one thing that we notice is the order is wrong. And this is what he addresses today. So let's see how Paul says what I just said to you. First of all, in Colossians chapter 3, verse 18, he turns his attention to the wives. And he says to them, Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands as it is fit in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be bitter against them. Ah, oh, Man, this word submit is a difficult word for the world today. Isn't it? Submit. It has become the focus of the feminist movement And I must say it's most probably the most hated word amongst women today is this word, submit. And is this true? You look around you and you say, the feminist movement is just now so much hyped up the world, and they say for years and years the, the woman has been... Push down, it's now her time to stand up, Under the, come out under submitting to the man and do their own thing. Isn't that what the world is saying these days? That's exactly what you hear. And they hate this word with a passion. No way. There's no way of submittance. Now the th- first thing I need to say is that the word submittance does not mean that it cancels out equality. You see, what the world don't understand today about this world written in our Bible is they do not understand what the word means. So, the first thing, it doesn't mean that you're not equal anymore. And let me explain it to you this way When God made Eve, did he make her out of the dust of the earth? No. No, no, he made her out of Adam, didn't he? So, how did he do that? The Bible says that he took what? A toenail. Did God have a clipper? And he goes and he says, Adam, don't you just sit down there. I'm just going to take one of your toenails. Clip. And he takes the toenail. Have you smelled the oh, toenail? No, I won't go there. <laughs> 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 and he could. L- l- listen to me today. God could have made Eve out of a toenail. That's how powerful he is. But dear friends, he didn't make her out of a toenail so that she needs to be trampled all over or that men thing, she's the stinky thing in the relationship. Now, this is what he could also have done. And I believe that Adam had a full set of hair. Clean, not like myself. <laughs> but God could have come up to Adam and said, Adam, just sit down there. It's, it's just going to sting for a bit, but I, he could go up there and ping one of his hair out. He could have, couldn't he? And he could have made Eve out of a hair, could he? Oh, my God, can do anything. But he did not use the hair, and I'll tell you why. Because he didn't make the hair so that the wife rule over the husband and feels that she's... Because in, in your body, your hair is the highest point, isn't it? He, he didn't say that she is now in control of the man or all over the man. That's not how he created But he went right to the rib. Where's the rib? It is equal. It is an equal place. And he takes the rib. And what does the rib protect? the vital organs of the body that's where he took her from he took her out of the rip and he formed her so let me first say that the word submit here this morning if you sit here this morning and you've got a little bit of strain or feminism within your body calm down calm down the word submit does not mean that she's now all of a sudden his slave or his laborer or his help like it says in there you need to understand this The word submit does not get rid of equality. And this is what the feminists don't like. In fact, if you think about the word submit, we all have to submit some states in your lives, don't we? Forget about the family for now for a minute, but you have to submit to the authorities of this country, don't you? You can't just jump in your car and race down here and hit 160 kilometers an hour, why not? what's the speed limit? (laughs) Oh, you can't do that. I mean, go, go ahead. Be my guest. But you'll be in trouble. You have to submit to the rule of law. You have to submit at work to your bosses who's over you. And that's the biggest problem today. People don't want to submit. And here he starts with the wise. Submit yourselves unto your own husbands. I had a very clever man once in a session we sat down and uh, he had problems with his wife of loving her. He was outright with me. We had a, a man-to-man session, him and I. And I said, why can't you love your wife? I mean, forget about falling in love, he said, but why can't you love her now? And he goes, well, if you look in Colossians chapter 3, verse 8, it first says that she needs to submit to me before I love her. That's not what it says there. No, no, if you understand what happened in Colossa." This was now in the Roman time, and the Greek time, and feminism just didn't start in our day and age, it started back then. Listen, think about the temple of who? Of Diana. There was a temple in those times of Diana. It's female. It is feminist. And then this is where it not only started There, it started before that. In fact, it goes way beyond. It started in the Garden of Eden, and we'll see that in a few moments. I'm going to take you all the way back there. But here's the problem. Back in the day, Paul warned the church, and he starts with the wives first, the females first, and he says, you have to submit to your husbands. Because in their day, with the temples there, this massive, gigantic temple of Diana, there was a lot of push towards female, and feminism was rife in the day as well. And he said for them, if church wants to work, if family wants to work, wives first of all, let me address you, you have to submit to your own husbands as it's fit to the Lord. In Romans chapter 13 verse 1. he says. Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist. Are appointed by God. So we need to see. Why husband subjects. a wife subjects to husbands. And it's going to come out of these passages. In Ephesians chapter 5. He says the same thing. He says therefore as the church is subject unto Christ. So let wives be to their own husbands in everything. Be subject to your, it means to submit. The word submit here comes from the Greek word hypotutasso, which literally means to be under in rank. Under in rank. And let me say it outright. This is a positional thing. It's not an emotional thing. That is the key here. The problem is we make it emotional. We put our emotions into this and say, I will never submit unto him. Well, right? it's your emotions that's speaking. But when God gave the order, it was a positional thing, that's all. And here it is a military term that is used to be under in rank. Now I've been in the army in South Africa and I know how ranks work. In ranks, if there's somebody higher rank than you, you submit to that rank. And if he gives an order, you follow that order. Now, he's not saying that we need to be like the army. All he says is this is a positional place and it's not emotionally. And this has got nothing to do of being smarter or better talented. Nothing. That's why emotions and, and characteristics is pulled out from this. It's a male-female thing. So I'll tell you what, there's a lot of females and women who are much smarter than men. Much smarter. I've met a lot of them. I've been sitting in meetings sometimes and there's somebody doing a presentation. And I go, this, this lady is really smart. Much smarter than me. It doesn't take a lot, but anyway, I just thought I'd put it out there. But, but, but smart. This is, got not, this is not to say that the husband knows everything. No. Remember, equality. If you've got a very smart, brilliant wife, why wouldn't you want to use her? Why wouldn't she have saying this as well? And this is what it is. This word "submit" is by far not meaning that it is deranged or under. No, it means just a positional thing that God has put in place. And and the question is got to ask why? Why do wives have to submit to their husbands? Well, let's look into this. In one Timothy chapter two verse thirteen, he says, "For Adam was first formed, then Eve." Do you agree with that? But well, it doesn't matter whether you agree, it's true, <laughs> okay? <laughs> and Adam was not deceived, but the woman being deceived was in the transgression. Now, the thing, of, the, the thing here is that when God made Adam and Eve, Eve is way more emotional than Adam. And it is true today. Women generally are way more emotional than men. If you think, of that's how God made them. If, if a mother gives birth to a baby, who's the best to nurture that baby in the first days, months? It's whom? It's the mother. Look, I, I know that you can sit here and you say, well, I know of a family where the mom doesn't care about her children. I'm, I'm not talking, that is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking in God's pure, perfect order. He made the woman so intricately, see, so d- delicately put together by God that sees the one who nurtures who's got the emo- emotional faculty way more than men to nurture a little baby i know we pick them up like i did and we are gentle with them but there's something about a mother and a child and this is how god made it so way more, <coughs> more than that and and who knows about this the devil knew about this so it says there that whoever was firm and was not deceived, but the woman was deceived. 1 Corinthians 11, 13, 3, he says, But I want you to know that the head of every man is Christ, the head of woman is the man, and the head of Christ is God. So first of all, we need to look at God's order. He made Adam, then he made Eve. It's a positional thing. In verse 11, uh, chapter 11, verse 8, he says, For man is not from woman, but woman from man. Nor was man created for the woman, but woman for the man. Remember when God said he's not good, that Adam is alone. Now, again, this is an equal. Some religions out there say, oh, the, the women, you know, this is why we don't let women study so that they become smart. This is not what God said. It's got nothing to do with that side. It's all a positional thing with God. You've got to understand that. And if you understand God's positional intricacies, then you will understand why women have to submit to her And this is what he's saying right here. But the problem is, and I'll show you the problem. It started in the Garden of Eden. In Genesis chapter 3, verse 16, And to the woman he said, I will greatly multiply your sorrow and thy conception. So what happened here? This is after Lucifer came into the Garden of Eden and he deceived Eve. and then Eve got Adam in and they both ate of the fruit and what happened? They sinned. And now in chapter three they are talking to God and God gives them this word. And listen to what God says to Eve. He says to her, he says he will in greatly multiply sorrow in conception. Isn't that what happens with birth? Now I haven't given—I haven't birthed a child, but you know, but I know it, it is a painful story. I was there when Sharia was born in a theatre. I'll tell you what, dear friends, I don't want to go through that. <laughs> I've got so much respect for my wife and for for. But here's the nice thing—an interesting thing here is that with the sorrow comes joy, isn't it? You're in that painful sorrow, and the next moment you've got joy. This little baby in your hands. But the thing is. He says in sorrow thou shalt bring them forth. And thy desire shall be to thy husband. You see that? Thy desire shall be to thy husband. And he shall rule over thee. Who said that? God said that. So if you want to get cross with me this morning. Because I'm interfering with your way that you see it. It's not. Me, I'm just a messenger here Now, the word here means that desire shall be unto thy husband Has got two parts of it Yes, it's got a physical part to it But then the second part of it Is the part of ruling Thy desire will be for thy husband Because what do you want to do? You want to rule him Right after that, he says And He shall rule over thee. You will be desired to rule, but he's the one who needs to rule. You see this? So it's the physical application, but the second one is what Eve did. She made that decision. She came, when when uh, Lucifer came to her, she made the decision, it's good for the eyes, good for the flesh, and it's for the pride of life. And then she went and she told Adam. Now he could have said no, and he should have said no, because the Word of God came to him and indirectly gave it to Eve. But here God says, this is going to be my order, but your desire will be for your husband and for his rule. And this is what you see. The feminist movement is out there and this is what they are portraying. You see, if a man had not sinned, he would always have ruled with wisdom and love. That's what would have happened. And if Eve, if the woman had not sinned, she would always have submitted with humility and meekness. Again, do not let the world influence you around the word submit, it's equal. In the eyes of God. He says wives submit to your husbands. Um, Now wives need to do this as a part of their duty. I've got my clicker out there. Look at this now. He says wives submit to yourselves as your husband. Your own husbands. As it is fit in the Lord. Oh man and I've had people coming and trying to tell me what that means. As it is fit in the Lord. We were sitting in these councils and we, we, we used those words. And you get clever people out there. And, and these ones he says, well, this is written uh, to the husbands. When he wrote it down, he was meaning he had the husbands in his minds when he wrote this down. He says, wife, submit yourself to your husband. Why? As it's fit to the Lord. It means the husband, he's like God and he's got the final word. That's what it means. Oh, and then there's another part who comes around and I say, no, 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 this is written for the wife. It means wife, submit yourselves unto your husbands as for them to God. It means as long as you do what the Lord wants, that's when I'll submit. And I've heard people saying it to me. I've had women saying it to me. She said, but he's not doing, I can't submit to him. I said, why can't you submit to him? Because he's not doing what the Lord wants him to do. And I says, what does the Lord want him to do? Oh, well, and then he starts with this whole list, and I go, who decides what the Lord wants him to do? Now it's you. You see how tricky this can become? And that's what the devil wants to do. He wants to make it really tricky. No, no, it means that wives do this as part of their duty to God. Not to submit to that. It's a duty to God that they do. But there's also times that wives don't have to submit to their husbands. And I have to say this as well. When is those times? Well, it's when the husband asks him to conduct in a sin. If your husband comes to you and he wants you to sin, then you don't have to submit to him. Now, you don't decide what that sin is, okay? (laughs) But if he comes to you and says, let's steal or let's murder somebody, is that a sin? Yes, it is. Then you don't have to submit. And there are some times when the husband is medically, you know, he can't do this, or he's taking drugs, or he's insane, or something happened with him that a wife has to step up. And and then she don't have to submit to the point of making decisions. But she submitted to her husband. And then there's times when, I, I said it one time to a couple, if the husband becomes violent and your life is in danger, then you have to get out of there. We had to say it one time to a lady and she had to leave her husband. But this is it. There's some times when you have to use common sense. And it's not overriding the word of God. You are still submitted, but there's areas where you don't have to when your life is threatened by that. And there's also one that Paul talks about. And that is when the husband breaks the, the marriage vow and commits fornication. So this is just one thing about how the order of God works. But then he says, husband, love your wives. And now now I know the wife says, oh, geez, he gets the easy job. (laughs) (laughs) And do not be bitter against them. Why couldn't God say, husband, submit to your wife and them start doing the hard work? But may I suggest to you that love. In this scenes is the more weightier work. You see, when God said, Wives, submit to your husbands, the way that God had that word submit is a protection for the wife. It is taking that responsibility away from the wife on a lot of things. And the reason why you have people today run off their feet and tired and families broken up is because people aren't doing that anymore. Back in the day, and I know things have changed, and I know husbands and wives work these days. But back in the days, husbands were the one who was the breadwinner. Bring in, and the, and the wife was the one who nurtured the family. And the wife was the one who brought the children up. You go and read through the book of Proverbs, you read through all of that. And they were the ones who teaches the children, the sons and the daughters, as they grow up to the age of responsibility. I know it's changed. I'm not going to stand here and say all the women in this place resign your jobs. because No, that's not exchange. God knows. But let's look at this weightier thing here now. Husbands, hold on to your seats. In Ephesians chapter 5, how do you laugh? That's the question. Uh, it's, not, it's not just a case of walking over to your, to your wife and saying, oh honey, you know what? I love you. You know that, don't you? You do know that, don't you? And then you turn around and your dog comes running up and you go, Oh buddy, I love you, man. I mean, how confusing is that? (laughs) I know you said I need you love me, but now you love the dog. (laughs) Let me also say that love is an action. It's not an emotion. The problem today is that people make all of these things emotions, hate. Hate is an action. It's not an emotion. Love is a choice. It's a choice. We deal with people and they say, oh, you know what, I just fell out of love. Yeah, I know why you fell out of love, because you didn't work on it. You didn't choose to love anymore. It's not something that you, today I've got it and tomorrow I don't. You choose every day to love. It is an action. And let, let me show you how husbands ought to love their wives. And you decide whether it's the, the more difficult work or not. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25, parallel passage, he says, Husbands love your wives. <coughs> just <coughs> excuse me, as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for her. That he might sanctify and cleanse her with the washing of water by the word that he might present her to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without premise. You see what, what he does so brilliantly here? He takes the church and he compares the church to what? To your wife. And he gives us here, listen men, he gives us here an indication of how to love our wives. This is the indication in the passage there. First of all, he says that he gave himself to her. It means it's a sacrifice. That means, dear friend, that when you marry your wife, everybody else dies. I'm talking women you were hanging on to or you were interested in. She is the one that you are living for. In first of place, God. Never forget that. But she becomes number one in your life. Number one. It's like sacrificing. Christ gave himself to the church. He died for you and for me. That means when we come together, listen, this notion of coming together and I'm going to give 50% and you're going to give 50% and then we'll have 100%. That math is wrong. For for the family, for the marriage to work, you need to give 100% and you need to give 100% and then the family will have 100%. I hear so many counselings going on. Just give him 50%. You know, you've got to hold some back. There's no holding back here. When Christ went to the cross, He died totally 100% for the church. When you come into marriage, you husbands give yourself totally 100% to your wife. 100%. Are we clear about that? He gave Himself. So, if you give yourself, submittance becomes much easier. On the other side. Then he says here, he says that he who might sanctify, who sanctifies he, the Lord, you husband sanctify her. What does sanctify mean? You set her apart, there is no other. It amazes me sometimes, even in churches, over the times that we go out, it's men's breakfasts, and there is a beautiful girl walking around, and these guys will stand there and go, what is that? What is that? You know what I'm talking about, but it's true. We've got to say it as it is. When I married my beautiful wife, I said I'm like a dove. There's only one. Yes, and this is it, dear friends. He says, totally sanctify, set her apart. And then he says this word's word, he, he cleanses her with the washing of water by the word. Washing of water is you build your wife with words. Is love now the easiest thing to do? You, husbands, build your wives with words. You lift them up. You encourage them. He says with the washing. You see that? It's an action. Husbands, we need to do these things. This is what he, he tells us. You see, love is not just an easy thing. Oh, honey, you know I love you. Oh, you know that. Yes. No, no, it's more than that. It it is continuing on. And then he says to present her to himself as glorious. You know, the amount of times that I hear men, you know, bad-mouthing their wives in groups, and I go, mate, the only thing you're telling us is that you are not presenting your wife as glorious unto yourself is because your building workmanship is not good. You need to build your wife up. Encourage her. When she's down, you lift her up. So quiet in here. Is it because it's true? He says, glorious church, not having a spot or a wrinkle or any such thing, but that she should be holy and without blemish. This is what Christ did for the church, and he uses it as an example that you need to do for your wife. Oh, but you know I can't love her because she doesn't submit to me. Keep on loving, keep on building, keep on sanctifying. Keep on bringing the roses. Don't wait for submitting. Keep on. Well, how long do I have to keep on? Until as long as it takes. Why? Because you made a decision to marry her and it says, husband, love your wives. It doesn't say love your wives when they submit to you. We've got a very thick marriage session here, don't we? (laughs) Woo! Woo! And can I just remind you what love means? 1 Corinthians chapter 13 verse 4 Love is patient. (laughs) See now, now we see husbands love your wives in a different view now. Do we? I know it's difficult to stay patient. I know. I'm there in the car and you're sitting there and you go... We said said 10 minutes ago, Janelle, we're going to leave. 10 minutes ago, we were ready. 10 minutes ago, I'm in the car pulling it out, sitting there. And now it's already 15 minutes after 10 minutes. (laughs) 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 And what does the word says love is patient, is patient. It is kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. Ah, oh, man. It does not insist on its own way. Come on, husbands. It does not insist on its own way. Uh, it's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes in all things, hopes all things, endure all things. I know what's going to happen after this sermon. Tomorrow, I know what's going to happen. <laughs> the wives is going to remind, they're going to listen to that sermon again. (laughs) You know what they're going to do, Glenn? You know what they're going to do? They're going to forward that message to this part. (laughs) Some is going to have it on a loop, (laughs) playing over and over again. But it's so wonderful, dear friends, that once we laugh and once wives submit, God's purpose works. Isn't it wonderful? You want to know why? Because, friends, you and I are only quivers. And in the quivers are arrows. This is now talking out of the book of Psalms. It says the family is like a quiver where you put arrows in. And an arrows is the children, is these little ones. Okay, they're in there. And what do you do with an arrow? You put it in a bow and, uh, 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 and, and you shoot it off. And and it goes a distance on. You know what it means? It means that sometime, sometime, this life will come to an end. This life. And you know what's going to go further? The arrows, the children. And what you've taught them, how you submit wives and how you love husbands, this is what they're going to do to their husbands and wives. This is why this is important. Now, we finish up with going quickly through this. Now that we have got the heavy part out of the way, the husbands and the wives, He says, children, obey your parents. Obey your parents in all things. You see that? (coughs) What does all mean? All. All. It's all. He says, in all things, for this is well-pleasing to whom? To the Lord. If you as a child want to be well-pleasing to the Lord, what do you do? You obey your parents. And let me just say this, I need to make a distinction. I always say, if you're under my roof, then that is it. But if you move out, yes, you still obey your parents, but in a different capacity. Because I said it earlier on, you need to stand on your own two feet and start living your life. But obey your parents for always, always. He says, fathers, do not provoke your children lest they be discouraged, okay? When a child respects their parents... And their authority, they are respecting God's authority. So if you disrespect your parents, it's not only going against your parents, you're disrespecting God. And I still got a father who's alive and I still respect him to this day. And if he calls me up and he says to me something, I'm going to obey it. I'm going to listen to it. I'm going to give him the respect that he needs to have. But the thing is, we should also not provoke our children. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 3 He says, Honor your father and your mother. He's talking to children. Honor them. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Sometimes you see children disrespect their parents. It's not going well in their own lives. Well, I could go back to the Bible and say, there, It's right there. It's because you're not honoring your father and your mother. It says that they may go well with you, and live long in the land. Now, live long in the land means age; you can live to an, a great age. But also, when he talks to live long in the land, have the prosperity of the land. It's both. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I believe in discipline, but not disciplinary fear. Children shouldn't walk around and see mum and dad and fear them. No, it's a different uh, discipline. How do you fear God? Do you fear God of what He can do to you? No. If you, if you still fear God like that, then, you know, we need to pray and, and you need to get some teaching because the fear of God is a reference fear. I'm saved by God, by His grace. It's not that He can zap me here and, and kill me on the spot, which He can. Which He can. But my fear is... For God is different. My fear is, let Lord, not your Holy Spirit, depart from me. Because, friends, without God I'm lost. Without God I'm in trouble. The fear is that God will will remove from me. When Jesus was hanging on the cross, He said, Father, why have thou forsaken me? Even Him cried that out. I don't want God to forsake me. Same children, obey your parents. Listen to me. Listen to your parents. When he says obey the he says it means to listen. This is how you need to obey. And let me read this for you quickly. He says in Proverbs 6.20, he talks to children. He says, My son, keep your father's commandments. In other words, when they say and they talk to you, and forsake not your mother's teaching. <coughs> See what I mean earlier on when you go back into God's time, the husband was the one who brought in and the mothers were teaching. Proverbs said the same thing. He says, bind them to your hearts always. Tie them around your neck. When you walk, they will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. And when you awake, they will talk with you. For the commandment is a lamp and the teaching is a light. And the reproofs of the discipline are the way of life. I believe in discipline. I believe in that. But in godly discipline... He continues on Now he says slaves and this is the King James Version. It's actually slaves which were they were. They were servants. Obey your masters according to the flesh in all things not with eye service as men pleases but in singleness of heart fearing God. Oh, you get these people who work in offices, don't they? The boss is there and they go. you oh, still there. And when he goes out for lunch, oh, good. Kick back. Oh, that's right. That's good. And then when the boss comes back. (laughs) That's men pleasers. He warns against that. He says, uh, obey your masters according to the flesh and all things. Fearing God. And I said this last week and I'm going to say it again. uh, Because the next passage says that in verse 23. And whatever you do, do it heartily as unto the Lord and not unto men. Look, listen to me. If That's the one thing you remember today and you walk out. Underline that and put it to your heart. Whatever you do in life, do it to the Lord. Not as unto men. And I'll tell you what, you'll be blessed. You'll be blessed. A child of God ought to be the best employee in a firm, the best. Not because you want to prove it to them. It's because you work for God. i said it all my life. My children will carry me out here. Eugene heard me saying this for years and years. I work in a company and I respect them. And you know what? I'll do whatever they ask me to do except sinning. But this is the main thing. I work for God. When we sit down and they negotiate my contract, you know what? I'm not there with a fist and trying to push hard against it. I say God will look after me and He did. And He will. I do it hardly answer unto the God, knowing that from the Lord you shall receive the reward of inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. <coughs> but he who does wrong shall receive justice for wrong, which he did, and there is no respect of person. What he's saying there, he says if you work for somebody, work with the same respect as if you would have worked for the Lord. And then finally, Chapter 4 verse 1, he says, Masters, now if you're in a position where you're a manager, you've got staff reporting back to you. He says, give to your servants, your slaves, what is just and equal, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. You're in rank. Can you see the whole time? When he started with wives, husbands, and talk through, everybody submitted to everybody. So if you're a master, you still got a heavenly father. and Who can go above him? Who can go above God? You see, if we look around us, we see more clever people, more strong people, but on God's level, there are none. And He says, if you think so much about yourself that you're the master, I'm the master. You know, I'm the master. You do whatever I say, and I'm going to rule you. For, for No, no, they said, Master above you is looking down on you, and you submitted to Him. Think about that. Now the point that he brings out here was brilliantly exposed for us in James, the book of James. Because what some of these masters did, (coughs) unlike our day, is a lot of these people got their wages the same day. didn't work like us every week or fortnight or monthly. You work for a good day's wage, you get your wage at the end of the day. But what some of these masters started doing, they're holding back. And in the book of James, it says that they Christ reaching God, who is the master of all. Watch out for that. So there we are. There is the family of God. Have we learned something today? So the structure according to God is the husband which He made, wife submitted. And I don't want to do that because I believe it's equal. Let me tell you, Christianity is the only, the only, and I don't want to call it religion, but I will for this purpose, is the only religion where there's freedom for the woman, like none. This is the only one. If you go to any other religion, the woman is always substandard to the male, or inferior to the male. And Christianity is not like that. I always say to people, I said, look, I've got a brilliant wife. You know, there's often oftentimes... We will discuss everything, every decision we make. We discuss it. And, and so, you know, there's so many times that, you know, that me and Leone talked about something and she brought a perspective on it and I go, you know what, you're right. We shouldn't do this. And I thank God for those times. I thank Him because that was the right decision. But here's the thing. Once we discuss what we're going to do at equal And we make a decision, the responsibility 100% falls on me. Whether it works or not. I'm not going to turn around and say, but you said. You get where I'm going? That means there's equality. And then after that, now where we found problems is, sometimes where the woman is more powerful in the house. That's breaking God's structure and everybody's got to do what mom says. You will have problems. Maybe you will have screaming shouts and all things going on. We've had times where the children are about the parents. That brings problems. But man, if it clicks into place, what a blessing. This is what Paul is talking about. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you this morning that we could learn this morning what a godly family looks like. And Father, we thank you for your order, for your purpose. We thank you that we can learn from this and live by this. Father, I pray that you go with everybody of us, me included, Lord, after this. And let your Holy Spirit bring to mind what we've heard today, so that we can not only hear it and talk it, but do it.